Hello and welcome to the Core Perform Corner, where registered dietitians and personal trainers teach you how to optimize your gut health, hormones, and fitness. Our team has utilized the trademark and evidence-based Core Perform protocol to transform over 500 lives mentally and physically. Here at Core Perform, we have three core values that are family, communication, and care. So if you are ready, subscribe to join our family, communicate with us through our Facebook group to ask questions, and we'll take care of the rest. Please remember this episode should not be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. And now, let's get on to this week's question. Hello and welcome back to the Core Perform Corner. We're joined back here with Courtney and Dasha, and we're going to talk all about your gut health questions this week. But before we do, Courtney, I want to hear all about your recent trip to like the dietitian farm. So I just got back from Maryland last night, actually, at like 11 p.m. So um, a little tired this morning and jet laggy, but so worth it. Um, so I was in Maryland for about three and a half days um, at a educational farm retreat that was hosted by um, another dietitian. Her name is Allison Sachs. And she is a dietitian that does a very unconventional type job. So she does have her own um, private practice, but she's also a homestead farm wife. So her husband is a farmer and she lives on a farm with her two cute little kids. And um, she teaches her local community about like farm to table, um, you know, mechanisms. So how to incorporate that, how to eat local, the benefits of eating local. Um, so she has a very functional approach. So we did everything from learning how to make our own fresh sourdough and the benefits of eating sourdough. We learned how to ferment our own um, pickles and vegetables. We learned how to milk a goat. We learned how to make our own soaps using um, coconut oil and lye and um, lard, like fresh lard, which is essentially pig fat. So they're pig farmers, these individuals. So everything that we ate, everything that we crafted, that we used was all local, like right on the farm, which was the coolest thing. So what would you say is the coolest thing that you learned? We actually had an hour lecture um, outside. So we're like drinking tea out on the, um, like this like grassy hill. And we were talking about how to make grains more digestible, which is something that we've talked about a couple times on this podcast. Um, but for a lot of the other individuals during this retreat, that was something they had never really heard of before. So um, this workshop was essentially talking about how soaking, you know, certain nuts, legumes, seeds um, can break down that husk a little bit, open up that phytic acid to allow for the digestibility of certain grains um, to allow for better mineral absorption, essentially, is what that is. So phytic acid is a quote, you know, anti-nutrient. Um, it's not something most people have to worry about, but a lot of our clients who have a lot of digestive issues or immunocompromisation or whatnot, that is something they, again, quote, might have to consider. If you're finding and that- vegan, you, vegetarian, vegan people who eat a oh, lot of these foods, ahem, why have I been telling you guys that I've looked into, like I literally test corporate protein for mm -hmm. phytic acid for this exact reason, guys. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad that you're learning about it. And it's like reinforcing everything that we talk about on this channel as well. It was so cool because like in, you know, in our little circle, she was like, has anyone heard of this before? And I was like, I have. Hey. <laughs> really fun. Well, that's so awesome. 
I took home some sourdough starter from her sourdough. And she's like, this goes back for like 30 years. And I was like, amazing. Uh, right? Yeah, you're like, uh, that's kind yeah. of, in my I, head, I'm like, that's kind of disgusting. But like, I totally get that that's normal, right? Because as human beings, we exist for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's not necessarily disgusting, is it? <laughs> just the coolest thing, like those bacterial microbes, like it has to be, I don't know, fermentation, I think is like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. Um, fun trip. Like I said, everything we ate was like fully local, fresh from the farm. Um, we went to a pumpkin patch and had like fresh apple cider. So I got to like have a little sneak peek of like what it's like to be like a homestead wife. Um, and then we played with baby goats, which like, come on. <laughs> Duh. So that was great. Would recommend. Yay. Well, I'm so glad you had fun. We're so happy to have you back. Um, nothing's really been new on my end. I'm going into, I'm going to head into um, Boston soon and do, we have our biannual innovation summits where I'll be sitting with like, Kroger, Campbell, like all these huge corporations to try and fix the nutrition in our country. So those are always really fun and interesting meetings. Um, there's also an innovation panel. Um, so I'm happy to give you guys like some feedback in terms of what we discuss. Uh, after that, I can probably do like a little solo update session of what has been discussed at these meetings, um, which might be interesting for everyone. So um, without further ado, let's kind of dive in. I had a few questions from the live this week that I've been doing. If you're not in our Facebook group, like I went live completely giving free content every single day on how to start your gut health journey from start to finish. So the links in our bio here in the show notes, you can go, all the recordings are posted up there probably for the next week or so. So go check them out. They're really short, 10, 15 minutes. Um, but yeah. All right. So um, I've been looking into the new IBS smart testing that they've been trying. Have you heard about that on Trio Smart? I feel like more and more people are starting to hear about it, even though it was created like two or three years ago. Um, but I'm going to dive into that a little bit deeper. But before I do, let's talk about some of the questions that came up on this live um, that I feel like both of us will be able to answer very quickly. Um, let's start with this one. What are your best tips for gastroparesis? Oh man. So ease of digestibility more than anything else with gastroparesis, because motility is so slow and digestion is so slow, probably the best bet there is to focus on nutrient density, caloric density without volume, because that's only going to make you feel worse. It's going to make you feel like there's this brick just sitting in your stomach. So, you know, probably liquid pureed, modified, lower fart, lower fiber, um, focusing hey, on did you just say fart fiber, but it kind of like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> we're children. We're grown adult professionals, but at heart we're children. Yeah, we are. Fiber is, you know, one of those things that is great for a lot of individuals, but fiber slows down absorption and digestion. So if you're having a lot of gastroparesis, you might want to be, you know, tinkering with that a little bit and potentially starting lower. And then eventually you can gradually build up over time as tolerated. But I often find that I usually have to lower it for a bit with my individuals with gastroparesis just to help move things along and help that absorption and digestibility a little bit better. What do you think? Absolutely. I think texture is so underrated. We always talk about fiber, but now I think I'm going to transition to talking about texture because that makes so much more sense for people in their minds visually 
I'm also a visual learner, probably why I choose to go that route. But um, yeah, think about it like texture. So even if you're dealing with SIBO, with candida, with digestive distress, it's going to be texture that matters most because we're trying to pull out as much fiber as we can um, if, if you have an overgrowth, right? I feel like people have this bad idea. And this also came up too in, in one of our client calls is like, someone was like, Dasha, I thought fiber was good for us. And I'm like, it is, it really is. But there are so many types of fibers, right? So there are FODMAPs and then there are pectins and resistant starches. And the truth of the matter is that everyone's going to react to all of them differently, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not even that FODMAPs are bad. It's just very simple for us to like categorize this group of vegetables and fibers and like eliminate them in a, in a quote unquote diet. But ultimately, um, insoluble fiber in general, foods high in insoluble fiber typically cause a little bit more GI distress versus soluble fiber. And that's why, for example, at core perform, a lot of times we'll lower your fiber will add in like a psyllium husk, which is just pure soluble fiber. Or when you go to the doctor and they're like, just go on Metamucil. Like this is why they kind of say that is to try and boost one specific type of fiber in your diet to help feed the good gut bugs. Um, but the reality is, is that any fiber feeds all the gut bugs. Like they all are very beneficial. And so FODMAPs are good for your gut. Um, they will feed the good gut bugs and they will have improved outcome, which is why you're not supposed to do low FODMAP forever. You're supposed to eliminate them and then reintroduce them strategically so you can find the fibers that your body agrees best with and reduces your digestive distress the most. Um, so what does that mean? What does that look like in a diet? Well, perhaps you can tolerate flaxseed and chia seeds really well, but you don't do really well with broccoli or Brussels sprouts or the cruciferous veggies. Maybe it's just a matter of finding the different fibers. Bananas, you do really well with pectins, but you don't do well with resistant starches like cooked and cooled um, uh, rices and noodles and whatever else. So I think I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but when it comes to gastroparesis, I think ultimately any of our constipation protocol too, and we can dive into that mm -hmm. with kiwis, prune juice, ginger, L massages, castor oil packs. Like there's so many things. We have a five page protocol we give to our clients. So I would say those are kind of the main things that I would really focus on. Decreasing stress is huge. Mm -hmm. People blow that off and then they never get better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, what else did we have to talk about? I've recently been looking into um, post-infectious IBS because I had a client, I had numerous people come to me with post-infectious IBS recently where they went to Mexico, they got food poisoning. And then she, like, for example, one new girl I onboarded yesterday, um, she's also a, a coach online. And she was like, I went to Mexico, got food poisoning, felt awful, but then rapidly gained 20 pounds in a month like 20 pounds in a month. She was like, I feel awful. I feel so uncomfortable. I feel like my digestive issues were fine afterwards, but then all of a sudden she's like, I'm back. Like, I feel like just like I was like three months ago when I got the, when I got this all to begin with. And I was like, mm -hmm. that really just sounds like post-infectious IBS. So what is post-infectious IBS? It is exactly what it sounds like. It is after you've been infected acutely, 
Um, usually it's Campylobacter, Salmonella. There are a few species that are specifically known to give you acute, it's called gastroenteritis, which is the inflammation of the stomach lining. So acute means short-term. So short-term inflammation of the GI, right? Um, we see this with food poisoning a lot um, and sort of infections that just cause a quick 24, 48 hour bout. Um, so a post-infectious IBS is post-infectious. So after you get this, whatever infection that happens, um, your body clears out, but now you have post-infectious IBS. So as a result of that infection, you now are diagnosed with IBS because your body is in a chronic inflammatory response, trying to get back to restore itself um, to baseline. So there's this new test from Trio Smart. Again, I use the word new, but they've been around for a few years, it sounds like. At least they've been doing testing on it, um, I think, since then. Um, but it is testing your anti-CDTB response and your anti-viniculin response. And so what these two are, are essentially antibodies that get produced by the body whenever it comes into an infection with this post infect with this infection right so anti-vinculin it means that you have an autoimmune response at this point driving relapsing post ibs infection so you can get these both measured through this ibs smart blood test and it will tell you what your levels are of these two antibodies. So anti-vinculin is the autoimmune IBS aspect, and then anti-CDTB dictates how recent that infection was. So if it was, if your anti-CDTB is low, then it means that you have no recent infection. If it's high, it means that you had a recent infection. And then antivinculin is if it's high, you have the autoimmunity. If it's low, you don't have it. So you can see how you can have a recent infection and an autoimmunity. You can have a non-recent infection and autoimmunity. You can have the other opposite and so on and so forth. So in terms of prevention and relapse, et cetera, it's really the same way that we would tackle IBS and chronic inflammation and any mm -hmm. sort of very like inflamed gastritis kind of situation where we're trying to remove that aspect, but you have to know at the end of the day that you will continuously get triggered because now you have this autoimmune protein to the infection and to uh, kind of elicit this IBS response. So it may relapse again. And so teaching yourself preventative measures um, will be the most helpful. When we are traveling, though, what are some things that might you might pack for gut relief, Courtney? I usually like to recommend the basics. Like, you don't have to go be bringing, like, 20 different crazy supplements while you're out traveling. Really kind of the big ones that I've recommended is something like um, activated charcoal if you respond well to it. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people respond better to something like extra strength gas X if they're issue is digestibility and a lot of bloat. Sometimes I'll have them pack that with them. Um, if they have a lot of like reflux heartburn, um, sometimes I'll have them bring like a couple packets of like the throat coat tea, DGL, something to keep on hand to kind of calm down um, a flare up without needing to feel like you have to bring like your entire cabinet of supplements or all of these crazy um, dietary changes. So those are kind of the 
the main ones that I like to recommend, um, you know, something fast acting quick. Um, again, at the end of the day, if it's like a flare up while you're traveling, it's meant to kind of be a band-aid. It's meant to just calm things down until you can get back in your more normalized environment um, to, you know, lower that trigger a little bit. Um, those are kind of the big ones I like to recommend. Sometimes digestive enzymes, if I have a patient that is showing that they're responding really well to them, because again, with those, it's honestly 50-50. I have some people that literally the week they start taking them, they're like, wow, I feel amazing. And then others, nothing. Um, trying to think if there's any other big ones. Those are the top three, I would say, like enzymes, some type of like heartburn relief, if that's their issue. And then some type of like um, binding agent or um, anti-bloat um, supplement. Maybe something like um, um, Pepto, if they are having a lot of like looser stools, diarrhea, some psyllium husk in a little baggie, maybe something like that. Yeah. So um, I literally just, I'm like, just carry some activated charcoal so that if you do get food poisoning, it binds out of the body so quickly, just like one and done. And so you're not at risk for this like chronic post-infectious IBS that your body is now de dealing with. So that's the only real thing that I recommend bringing with you. I remember the days when I used to like pack like protein powder and like protein mm -hmm. bars and like all these things and like a food scale. And it's like, dude, it's so exhausting to live in that. And it honestly, it wasn't exhausting. That's the thing. When you're in the moment living like that, you have no idea how much better your life can be without it. I think that's my personal experience. No, no, me too. I remember bringing, um, um, like lunch boxes or like not lunch boxes, but like little mini coolers, like into the airport constantly, because I would have to bring my like meal prepped stuff and like my special stuff. This was like back when I was bodybuilding and I'm like, Oh gosh, like I look back now and I'm like, I would never do that again. Yeah, me neither. Um, all right. Well, what else did I mention to you that we were going to be talking about today? I didn't even know. I know the, those were the big ones that we wanted to cover. Um, I guess kind of a non, there, there's some GI related, I guess, questions in the mix of this, but I've been working with a client who's almost done now. Um, but we essentially have resolved most of her digestive issues. Um, but at the same time, she is... Um, training for actually she just did it this last weekend a half marathon so yes, the last couple yes. months, like her GI stuff has been great so we've actually just been kind of transitioning and focusing on how to support that while still making sure she has enough energy and recovery um, and um, inflammatory support while she's doing like endurance running every day so just like tiny things of like figuring out what simple carbs digest well with her um, you know pre and post workout snacks things like that so um if that's something you guys are interested, we can talk about that maybe like next week or something. But I know um, you had some questions about like killing off SIBO, candida. Is that right? Yeah. So someone asked also on the live, killing off SIBO and candida at the same at time. time. Yeah. And they were like, do I get put on antibiotics or do I get put on antifungals? Um, do I take antimicrobials? Like what's the route that I would do for that? Honestly, it really depends on the person, right? Because there are three main ways that we can tackle SIBO, elemental diet, antimicrobials, or antibiotics. When it comes to candida, this thing is sticky as heck to get out of the system. It'll take a lot of like repeat cycles and things for a lot of people. Sometimes it's a quick fix, but honestly, candida is pretty, is pretty stubborn um, because mm -hmm. it does tend to form adhesions um, pretty significantly. And what's an adhesion, right? Um, adhesions are kind of this long 
protein like ligament that you can think of that they basically form um, to bind and hold on to your intestinal lining so that they're protected and they survive the conditions mm -hmm. that they're under. Um, but then that makes them more pathogenic. So candida is fine to have flowing through your system. It's not a bad thing. It's when it has those adhesions overgrows and becomes this pathogenic monster, you can say right. in the gut. So, um, that's why depending on how strong those adhesions are will depend on how much time you really need to dedicate to healing. Um, SIBO can be treated as quickly as two weeks, right? I mean, elemental diet is two weeks. Um, we have antibiotics is typically two weeks as well. I mean, the efficacy on the elemental is probably like 83% and the efficacy of the um, antibiotics has like a 52%, right? Um, mm -hmm. or they have a 50% relapse rate. So yeah, it really depends on, and on what you want to do and how you want to move forward and your insurance coverage, but you could treat SIBO and candida at the same time with antimicrobials, but honestly it would be pretty long to do. So if I were to recommend something, it would probably be like a elemental oh. diet for two weeks yeah, elemental diet for two weeks, kill off the SIBO as much as we can, and then do a candida supplement approach with probably something like ARBR, like candibactin <laughs> at the same time and see if we can kind of like cycle you into like further supplements. So as the digestion improves, we kind of just keep flowing towards just the candida and assuming that the SIBO has been killed off. I have been seeing so many, um, instances pop up more and more, um, where providers are using the antibiotic route with like nothing else at all, no dietary interventions, no stress management, no, no tackling any of those like five pillars of gut health, just antibiotics. And what's interesting is I've heard a lot of instances and you, tell me if you've noticed this as well, where it's like the first week they're like, they feel like a complete 180, like it's like honeymoon period where they're like, Oh my God, I feel amazing. And then like, day 10 through 14 or whatever, they feel like absolute crap again, or sometimes feel worse. Have you ha heard of that happening? It's like they take the rifaximin or whatever it is for like seven to 10 days. And they're like, I'm cured. I'm amazing. And then like right towards the very end, it's like instantaneous, like severe GI pain again and bloat and constipation or diarrhea. Yeah, it's exactly. Like it's that biofilm. It's that biofilm. I had a client too, three rounds of antibiotics, three rounds. She says, every time I get on antibiotics, I feel freaking amazing. But at this point, I'm like, how long can I continue to just take antibiotics for the rest of my life? Like I can't, it just keeps <laughs> relapsing. And that's when you really have to approach it from this biofilm disruption, like making sure we're getting rid of those adhesions, the biofilms, liver is supported, immune system is supported. Like you have to have so much more than just an antibiotic and an antifungal. Sometimes you have to really learn the whole lifestyle thing, which is what I love about our coaching. Like I was talking to someone earlier and they were like, oh, well, what's your retention model? And I was like, that I'm like, I must be a horrible businesswoman because I don't want to retain my clients. I was like, yeah. I literally want to teach them everything they need and then have them succeed on their own. Like, that's how I work. That's the model. And so this business coach was being like, well, like you should set up some sort of subscription after. And I was like, honestly, 
I just want to help more people. Like I, I want to help them if they want to continue to come back and I'm happy to support them um, through like one-time consult calls. But I really just want to give you guys everything you need and teach you guys during our coaching together. And I think that's what we successfully do together, Courtney. For sure. All right. Well, we've chatted off for a while now. I hope this episode was helpful. Don't forget to join the Facebook group because we give all this information for free throughout the week. Um, Hopefully you guys all have a brilliant rest of your week and we'll talk to you guys soon. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.